Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Rates, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 7, Starship Down, teleplayed by David Mack and John J. Ordover, and directed by Alexander Singer. This episode aired on November 13th, 1995. This week on Deep Space Nine, Cisco defends a Karama ship when it's attacked by the Jem'Hadar. Meanwhile, Quark and the Karama trade minister argue about the value of dishonesty in trading and have to work together to disarm a Jem'Hadar torpedo. So Elise, we will start this as we start every, most, every, <laughs> as we usually start our episodes. Did you or did you not remember this episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine? Um, the only thing I remembered about this episode was that James Cromwell is the in in his alien makeup, but I don't remember. Like, I didn't remember the plot. If you had asked me what episode of Deep Space Nine James Cromwell was in, I would not have been able to answer you. <laughs> he has such a, like, a distinctive voice, too, yes. that it's like, it's it's quite, even before the credits, it's like, yeah. quite a I feel like there's Cromwell. like. I feel like there's like a James Cromwell like renaissance that's kind of happening right now. Um, maybe it's in my mind only, but like I just want to say I've loved him forever. So yes, I'm pulling a I loved him before it was cool. Like I'm just throwing that out there. And also I've never seen Babe. So like it's not about Babe. <laughs> I know for a lot of people it's about the movie Babe. Were you you were just a little too old, a little too cool for school for when, I was when, too cool. And when I Babe tr- was was having a moment. And I tried to watch it like last year, and I got like ten minutes in, and I was like, "This is not for me." Well, I don't, I just like real quick. <laughs> I don't genuinely like movies about animals, especially when they're talking. Like it's one thing if it's like a cartoon or something, but like I don't enjoy animated. No, sorry, I don't enjoy like non-animated movies about animals. So like Homeward Bound, not your thing. No, I doubt I've seen that. Like even as a child, these movies turned me off. I think I was traumatized by the movie Beethoven as a child, and like this Beethoven has- didn't talk though. No, I know, but, like, it was the animal, like, and it was really slobbery in a scene. I don't even know if I ever saw all of Beethoven. I might have been traumatized by the Beethoven trailer, for all I know, but, yeah. I just, like, get really worried for the animals, like, that something bad's gonna happen, and I can't, like, handle it. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Learning a lot about you in this episode. Like, a couple, real one more story about this. Like, a couple years ago, (laughs) um... Tessa and I decided to watch the Aristocats and I literally made her like promise to me that there was no animal peril in it and that one was animated so like yeah I'm a little bit like anxious about animals love well, James you know what they say though, right? <laughs> what do they say everybody wants to be a cat because the cat's the only cat who knows where it's at I didn't know they said that mm, yeah well maybe you need to rewatch the Aristocats all <laughs> right so just a little bit of housekeeping before we proceed I am not at home, so if my audio inevitably sounds janky, 
it's because I'm in British Columbia. But <laughs> I should be back at home the next time we record. So. I think it's really funny that you phrased it that way. Like British Columbia doesn't have like proper sound. It's not like the fact that you're just like not at home. You're like British in British Columbia. They like no one has good sound. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm in in Vancouver, they, I'm sure they do. But yeah, <laughs> they don't have any. I just microphones didn't want to bring. I just didn't yeah. want to bring my good mic and everything. No, I don't blame you. You know, I support you, obviously. That's, that's good. I appreciate that. So, Star Trek. Star Trek. Was this the first time that we saw Quark on the Defiant? Like, I don't remember him being there before. So this might be the longest and most like continued we've seen quark on the defiant for the whole episode i'm pretty sure he's technically been on maybe like i want to say he was on and like listeners if i'm wrong please contact us but i want to say he was in the like search for a bit the the two part that started season three because the ferengi had already started trading with you know folks within the dominion and when they went looking right. for the founders he was on there for a bit and like remember cisco had the negasus scepter and then as yes. soon as they like got yes. introduced um quark like yes. got got a shuttle home or something like that so yes i do I, remember as soon as you said cisco had the negus's like thing i was like oh yeah yeah now i remember the scepter so I think for all intents and purposes, we're both right. Where it's like, is it technically the first time? <laughs> I love. No, when we're is both. it like? <laughs> I love when we're both right. <laughs> but the spirit, in the spirit of your question, yes. Cool. I before this episode, I never. It didn't occur to me that the Defiant wasn't made for like entering atmospheres, even though it really does make sense because it's it normally stays in space. Um, yeah it's it's the different type of like pressure and like things like that right like it's and i I I mean it's one of those things too sorry it's just it's kind of like the size it's kind of like the size of the island on lost right where it's like how big is the island um it's as big as the plot or as small as the plot needs it to be right so i think you know in terms of like can start you know certain starships do this and that can certain starships do this and certain starships do that yes based on the based on the plot right (laughs) like i'm thinking about there's that the the intro of star trek into darkness Mm -hmm. where the enterprise is underwater right i I feel like i've like memory hold that movie intentionally (laughs) i mean don't tell that to lossy because i'm going to tell him um i'm just thinking about when they go to space in Fast and Furious 9 or whatever, or Fast 9, and how, like, they did it in Fast 9, so, like, the Defiant can do it, too. The last Fast movie I saw was um, Tokyo Drift. Oh, my God. on DVD. So I'm, I'm a little behind in that You series. are, like, really behind because 5, 6, and 7 are freaking amazing. <laughs> you need to watch so. those. I'm getting around to it. No, you don't have to do anything. Point. It's fine. <laughs> You're not missing. Well, I'm not also talking now that we're like, you know, because we we're like getting off topic or whatever. Um, speaking of animals, I haven't seen any of the John Wicks. Oh yeah, because, those are great. Yeah, because you, you know, watch... the whole premise of the first one. I don't yeah. want to see the dog die. 
Um, I think that you can probably find out online like what minutes you have can skip for that. Um, but if you're, I just going want to, to see Theon kill a dog. I don't want to see Theon Greyjoy kill a dog. No, that's that's completely valid and fair. What I'm trying to tell you is that the John Wick movies, like they're, I would watch those before the Fast and the Furious movies. Like I like them more. But got the, it. But I also don't think the plot really even matters in them. They're just like they look really cool. Yeah. One thing that I really speaking of, you know, the defiance and atmospheres and, you know, all the pressure and, mm-hmm. you know, things not working or whatever. This episode really had like submarine vibes to me, mm. like submarine combat, submarine warfare. Because the idea of the pressure and like, you know, the figuring out, you know, the torpedoes and angles and like they're even talking about how what the depth things are at in the yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. in the gas giants and it's like oh we can't go this deep but we can go this deep and yeah. blah, blah 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 it was it was very like i don't know it was kind of it wasn't exactly um hunt for red october yeah. but just that sense of like claustrophobia oh totally like that. It i yeah me those vibes. it was really dark and like cloudy the episode um in a yeah. way that would definitely add to that i actually got vibes relating to the last jedi a little bit not from like okay not from like the plot as much as like them kind of like trying to get away from the jemhadar but also like not not that they didn't have like they didn't have like means to really get away um yeah and so like from that perspective it made me think of like them trying to like get away from the star destroyer yeah, nope, that makes sense. Totally follow you. Totally follow but if you they did there. a holdo remo- maneuver with, I said remover by accident, uh, maneuver with <laughs> the Defiant, I think the Defiant would have just like, I mean, obviously, it wouldn't have been good. But yeah. Um, one thing I noticed in this episode that felt different than other ones uh, was there a lot of like departmental employees that were happening, like around doing different jobs, like faces we see very rarely. Like, we saw O'Brien's whole team, basically. Um, and I really enjoyed, like, seeing the different teams, like, work together. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, kind... Not kind of. It's, like, very much, at times, it's, like, a examination of, like, leadership from, like, a like a management perspective or managing teams or that sort of, that sort of vibe, right? Because it's like you have, you know, Worf's whole arc in this episode, you know, with some of the other staff and, you know, O'Brien and even the ways in which, and I mean, we're, we'll get more into this later, but that idea of how Cisco and, and Kira relate or don't relate to each other in terms of like their working relationship and like the boundaries that they have existing in their relationship being more strictly professional as opposed to it kind of bleeding over like with some of like Dax or, or some of the other staff into other senior staff into like, you know, the personal and things like that. So. Right. It is interesting to see. There was a lot of like interpersonal things happening in this episode um, in a way that I enjoyed just like seeing how different personalities mesh. Um, One thing I want to say before we get into like, what actually happens in this episode is that at the end when um the engineering team was telling Worf that they had a plan to fix the defiant up um 
And Orf like learns his lesson and is like, oh, you know, do it at your own discretion. Um, and he's and the engineer's like, we can do it in 16 hours. And O'Brien's like, oh, you can do it in 12. Um, it reminds AJ and I were watching this like a couple weeks ago. And um, he reminded me of that buffer time episode of Lower Decks and how like <laughs> O'Brien would 100% know about buffer time and like know what could actually be done. And that made me it made me laugh. Totally. So we're in the Gamma Quadrant because the Ferengi are being are the middlemen to for trade discussion between the Karama and the Federation. Um and so that's why Cork is on the Defiant. And while and the Karama trade minister is whose name I don't remember. That's who James Cromwell is. James playing. Cromwell. That's we'll his just name. Just call him James Cromwell. Um he is angry because um, the Ferengi have been clearly adding like extra fees and shit into um, <laughs> the contracts. Um, some like extra money to make sure there's no changelings in the shipment and like stuff like that. Which I kind of feel like, um, <laughs> even though like the Federation is completely unaware that the Ferengi are doing that, like it made so much sense that the Ferengi would add in. Um, that kind of nonsensical fee. <laughs> yeah, basically the Ferengi are Ticketmaster. Yes! Oh my god. My uh, Yes, it's ridiculous. The Ticketmaster fees now are like 30% of the fucking ticket at this point. It's, it's obscene. So we have the Defiant, we have a Karama ship that's like nearby um, that actually let brought the Minister to um, the Defiant and... We have a bunch of Jem'Hadar ships. We I don't really think we ever see them or find out how many there are, because um, that's not really the point of that. I think there's two Jem'Hadar oh. ships. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I guess I was paying attention really well. Um, <laughs> so the Defiant is like trying to protect themselves as much as they're trying to protect the the Karama ship, but like you know, there's a lot of damage happening. Um, a torpedo gets. Uh, launched and hits the defiant so they're basically like pretty much fucked well that is if they can't can't disarm it and uh it does explode but well it was so amusingly it was supposed to explode on impact (laughs) so like obviously the torpedo didn't even work as expected um i guess i'll stay on quirk and the karama trade minister i know that is not the order that i kind of had things in in our notes but um when there's oh so basically because quirk and the karama trade minister are like the civil the basically the civilians on board they're basically like left to go to the mess hall to um for safety but that's like where the torpedo hits isn't it and they have to disarm it together which is like really funny because the whole time they're at this like political odds of like Quark being like profit, 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 which I think the Karama respect that and are profit are into profit too, but they're like, we're gonna do this a little bit more um honestly. They're like so the he's the Karama trade minister is like pricing should be based on raw materials and labor, not like price gouging and, and everything. Um but Quark is really impressed with that. James Cromwell has like figured out that they're trying to scam them 
<laughs> so he's like, we could yeah. go into business together and scam everyone. It's really funny. Um, there's a really funny... So they're fighting and fighting until they both realize, okay, well, we now have to disarm this torpedo. And the, James Cromwell knows about the torpedo because they're the ones that have sold them to the Jem'Hadar. That's another bit where it kind of felt like The Last Jedi-ish. Um, like people selling weapons to the bad guys and the good guys, I guess. Um, I really enjoyed the like bickering between these two characters and especially um, the James Cromwell being so amused that Quark was like, I thought you didn't give them uh, a cell like... I forget his exact words, but basically he says, like, I thought you didn't sell things that, like, were subpar or whatever <laughs> because the <laughs> torpedo didn't um, explode on impact. And so uh, James Cromwell makes that joke about, like, oh, I guess I should give them a refund or whatever. But, like, just their whole, like, vibe, it was really funny for me. Um, I think they'll, I, I don't, I mean, I don't think we see this guy again, but, like, clearly he and Quark are now frenemies. <laughs> they, they they definitely like come to an understanding for sure yes 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 <laughs> um so because of the damage that is on deep deep space nine on the defiant the comms are not working and so communication has has basically halted between engineering and the bridge and like other people like nothing's working um jadzia almost dies because she's like in an area of the defiant that like needs to be closed off because it has been damaged and our buddy julian is told by cisco to close the bulkhead so that they can like secure that deck and he's like J but jadzia's in there and cisco's like we need to do this like he cisco is like in his prime like you know the good of the many outweigh the good of the few like <laughs> I'm going to be in charge, and I'm sorry, but, like, we have to risk that Jadzia's life for the for the rest of us. Um, and Julian's like, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna do that. Um, so he defies orders, and he does rescue Jadzia, thankfully. Um, but I really enjoyed that they... So the, the way the episode worked was, like, they kept just kind of going back and forth between all the different groups of people that were together. Um, you know, Worf was on the bridge with Kira and Cisco. Cisco gets injured, so Worf's like, "Oh, I'll go to engineering if it's going to work down there. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll run the, I'll run the ship from from engineering." Um, so you have like O'Brien and Worf with all the engineering crew. You have Kira and Cisco um, on the bridge, and then you have uh, Jedzia and Julian in what looks like a tiny closet <laughs> or whatever it was, um, and. You know, Julian and Jadzia are having this, like, really nice heart-to-heart -heart that reminds me of all the things we've been talking about for the last, like, mm -hmm. while. while about how it's so nice that he's not, like, obsessed with her anymore and they're actually friends that have gotten to know each other. Um, she she basically says this to him, and it's just it's just really nice. I found it really yeah, satisfying. Yeah, it, it it makes text what, you know, what we've been, like, reading in terms of, like, the subtext and, like, this the state of their relationship and the part of that that kind of I thought was was amusing is Julian at one part admits that he has fanfic brain and when he was still like chasing her he had like a you know a sort of 
oh no, we're stuck together and now we have to fall in love sort of like, yeah. fantasy. He basically had a close proximity fantasy about Jessica. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here I'm here to name all the tropes. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. And because they're friends now, she actually like was amused by that when I think if he had told her, I think, let me rephrase that. I think Jadzia is really cool and she the she would have been like fine with it anyway. And especially since if he had said that to her earlier, the writers would have made it like she was fine with it because that's they didn't know what they were doing with her at first. But because they actually have a friendship, she can look back on that and be like, okay, I know him now. Like, I know he's not actually like a creep. Um, yeah. And it was just really nice. Like, obviously, they're huddling together for, for warmth and, you know, she's not doing so great. But yeah, it was just really nice. And he basically now they can joke about it in a way, which yeah. I like, like he, she was like, you know, just don't chase me again. And he's like, well, now that I know you liked it, I don't have to. And it was just like really cute <laughs> and like, OK, we're friends now and we're going to make fun of Julian acting like that in the past. And that makes me really happy. Yeah, no, it was it was like the smallest part or portion of like the episode but yeah. it was yeah it was, I think it was, it was I think it was my favorite bit of the episode um uh, besides Quirk and James Cromwell bickering with each other <laughs> <laughs> um on the other hand we have Worf who's taking command of the ship from engineering but like he doesn't really know how to talk to the engineers and O'Brien has to remind him like these are engineers they are not they didn't go to Starfleet Academy like I don't think I realized that. Um, like, I guess I don't know how the engineers get hired if they weren't at Starfleet Academy. Yeah, well, they're non—they're not commissioned officers. They're like O'Brien. They're like non-coms, right? So they just like enlist, or else they like sign up and then Got you know it. have like probably some form of kind of like basic training or whatever like that. But it's like they didn't go to West Point. They're just right. you know went to to basic training and got you know just okay. join the military they didn't like graduate okay. as officers that really that um, really did actually help me a lot thank you but like i think it's ultimately like Worf's Worf has a very like authoritarian like do it because i'm the boss like oh totally this was all this about this was all about Worf's leadership style i just didn't understand yeah. like no no no, no. I, yeah it means it makes sense now no that totally that totally makes sense so hi brody Hi, Brody. Um, no, I only brought up that, like, because I think that's just Worf's leadership style generally. Because yeah. when he's talking to the ensign, like, the um, the who has gone through Starfleet Academy, he's the same way. And she's, like, put off by it when he's like, you know, these results for these drills suck. Do it again, right? And so, yeah, like, the yeah, lesson the that, mm -hmm. that Worf learns is it's more of kind of, like, this idea of, like, situational awareness. And, like, if you want to support your teams to like achieve you know the mutual outcomes it's like you know like like miles says you got to kind of loosen the reins a bit you just have to that kind of situational awareness that not everyone's going to respond to just because i say so like being ridden that hard all the time right so. yeah and there's nothing wrong with not reacting that way like it's you know there's no right and wrong here it's just per like the situation or you should act per the situation not 
you know, always be shouting it, do this, do that, and not always be like loosey goosey as well. I don't know why I just said loosey goosey, don't tell anyone. <laughs> the last pairing we have is during the torpedo attack, Cisco basically gets like knocked in the head. Um, so he's bleeding and sorry, I just hit my desk. Um, he's bleeding and he's like somewhat, he's like not. He's like borderline un unconscious. This is about when when Worf leaves to go to engineering because the bridge is basically dead, and so Kira stays with him and it has to keep him awake because he definitely has a concussion, and if he passes out, he might go into a coma. <clears throat> Prior to them leaving on the Defiant, we find out from Kira from a conversation Kira and Dax are having. That it's Hamara. I don't remember if I am pronouncing that correct, but it's the anniversary of the emissary's arrival. So, you know, obviously the emissary is Benjamin Sisko, and they the Bajorans have a fast and they have a festival, and Kira is really sad to miss all of it because of this mission they're going on. But makes a little bit of a comment that Sisko probably made this mission at the same time as this festival on purpose so that he didn't have to like have all that attention because. Cisco feels really complicated about being the emissary or being, a, you know, a religious leader because it's not like he had a choice in that matter. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so this whole scene to me is about how Kira has a hard time separating Cisco, the emissary, from Cisco, her boss, from Cisco, who could be her friend because they work together and, you know, Dax and Cisco are friendly um Cisco is is friendly with with everyone really um I think we see him chatting with O'Brien we see him chatting with Julian you know he has these relationships and so Kira feels she doesn't have that with him because she looks at him a certain way yeah and, and I think like you're saying it's like the idea too that they're both in their own ways like uncomfortable with these aspects of the relationship where like Kira doesn't know how to relate to him as the boss and then as the the emissary figure but then because Ben's seemingly like uncomfortable with his status as the emissary at this point you know he doesn't know how isn't you know he knows Kira's devout and has that perspective so he doesn't know how to relate to her her either so right again like I think kind of trying to like tie it back kind of that 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 leadership theme i'm like pulling out of it like that's like why ben recognizes that he can step out of his comfort zone when it comes to like you know his relationship and kind of make those those first overtures right so at the end of the episode about going to the baseball game yes um, I will say that the episode lost me a little bit when he, Kira was, like, telling Cisco the story about the farmers. Um, not that I didn't think whatever she was saying was, like, probably had a good lesson in it, but I I completely tuned it out because I was, I was a little bored by that part. Um, yeah. I yeah, think no, it, that's, that's totally I, I think fair. it just got a little too, like, after school especially for me or something. Yeah, and, and she's definitely, like, you know, her story's kind of, like, leaning on to, you know, that idea of, like, like a parable or that type of storytelling, yes. which is, you know, it's it's specifically, like, didactic. Like, it, it they exist to teach a moral or, you know, 
<laughs> things like that. Yeah. So I I can see how that's not working. And even like it goes to where she doesn't know what to do and she's feeling so, you know, she she cares so much, but you know, it just is seeming so like helpless and, you know, whatever. So like then she ends up deciding she's like, I know it makes you uncomfortable, but you know, and then she ends up doing the the blessing and like the prayer and stuff like that. And while I can see why understand why she she would go there and why she would do that and like the power that that has there for for her it's like in one hand it's like did did ben i mean i guess ben couldn't consent to it but it's like i don't know it's like i can see how you know depending on your your views of you know religion or faith or like all that type of stuff how like it could lose someone there for sure yeah yep like i think overall like i i enjoy this episode i don't think it's the the worst episode I've ever seen. It's I think by far like the best episode. By it's far from the best episode I've right, ever seen. Right. Seen. I think it's like a solid like six and a half, maybe even some of it like seven out of ten. It's like it's the one I'll happily rewatch, but like I'm not getting geeked up to rewatch it all the time. Like it's not one I'm like super excited to watch either. I just think it's like a a solid base hit. Yeah, I do think. Because I watched it twice, and I do think that, like, I enjoyed it better the second time. Um, I think that I had been so focused on the Cisco and Kira parts the first part that I, like, kind of tuned out some of the interactions with, like, Dax and Julian that I, or Dax and Bashir. I always feel funny when I, like, call one person by their first name and then the other person by their last name, and, like, I do it constantly, but, like, I'm never going to have, um... I'm never going to be consistent on that. So apologies. Um, I really enjoyed their interactions and obviously Quark and um, <clears throat> James Cromwell. <laughs> I think just also I, and I'm not saying that like, this is not like, I can't relate to this because this is not the kind of person I am. Like, that's not what I'm saying here, but I do tend to tune out a little bit when it gets to like some of the Bajoran religious things, because I just, don't care about religion that much um like it's interesting and i like when kai win shows up because she's obviously like someone i could be like Ugh, you're a weird weirdo fundamentalist um but overall like i just am not as into those bits as other as other people might be the episode kind of wraps up quickly um they were able to destroy the Jem'Hadar. Um, ships and the Karama ships not doing so great but I don't think anyone really was too injured on that ship and they brought them back to Deep Space Nine this was right. kind of the first episode where Worf was really in command even though Cisco was like around um I don't I know this happens at some point and I'm I mean it might be a spoiler for later but like doesn't isn't Worf usually in command of the Defiant I don't know if that's like official yet, but I feel like it is soon, if not already. I mean, I think from like it would make because just by default until Worf came on the show, it's like somehow like Kira was like the first officer of the Defiant because she was first officer on the station, which like Worf isn't, but like it would make sense as a Starfleet, as like a higher ranking like Starfleet officer that like yeah, if, if Cisco's not available. Worf is like the next highest ranking like mm -hmm. Starfleet guy to like command the Defiant. So, right. But 
Yeah, well, there'll, be, there'll be more. Of, yeah, I think I'm thinking of stuff that hasn't happened yet. Apologies. The apartment stuff? Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, now it's time for the Altair Water Thirst Quencher. Altair Water first being mentioned by Dr. McCoy when he's at the bar in Star Trek Three. I specifically call out that specific scene because I just rewatched Star Trek Three. I showed it to a friend who's going to go with me next week to my local art house showing, my local art house theater showing Star Trek Four. So I'd already talked about showing my friends Star Trek Two because it's my favorite. Then when we found out Star Trek Four was playing, I of course had to show them Star Trek Three. Did you, did you make that them whole watch Genesis Trilly going on? Did you make them watch the motion picture? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I mean, I might at some point, but yeah, that's right. like a. There might be other substances involved with, with <laughs> yes. viewing that one. That's fair. Um, I recently, in the last year or so, watched the Voyage Home, um, in the theater and very much enjoyed it. So I'm very excited for both of you to go see that. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful, and they've they've never seen it too. So oh, that's going to be such a delight. I think double dumbass on you all right elise <laughs> what's your nominee for the altair water thirst quencher this episode um i'm pulling at straws here but or grasping at straws whatever you whatever the correct term is but um i would say me and a hot dog from quirks <laughs> love i love hot dogs oh. um apparently cork knows what's up with regard to hot dogs so he better have onions and mustard that's all i'm saying what, what kind of mustard? It, um, spicy brown or deli. Usually spicy brown for me. Not a Dijon fan? Not on a hot dog. My dad is a Dijon fan. We like, my family usually has like three or four mustards going on at the same time. We all have different favorites. Yeah. Spicy brown. Do you have any thirst yes. quencher or any thirst that needs to be uh, No, no, not this week. Yeah. But I do have a it candidate wasn't... for most. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, in, in the normal respect of, like, thirst quenching, this was not, like, a very thirsty episode. But I do have a nominee for most Star Trek thing. It is a disaster episode. Yes. Right? So, um, we love a disaster episode. Yeah, and on that note, my most Star Trek thing is that I thought there were excellent scenes of everyone falling over during the ship attack. <laughs> like... People getting thrown across rooms, like it was, it was like prime attack scene for me. All right, Elise. Well, until next time, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter, Letterbox, and Storygraph at chicken double underscore tendi. That's T E N D I, and on Blue Sky at chicken tendi. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd and Blue Sky at, at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-H-U-G-H. You can catch us together on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at PodWraiths. And you can also email us at PodWraiths at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. Thank you again to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.